Hi, welcome to Get Ready with Tony Stewart. I'm happy to have on today Tanya Hall, the person responsible for encouraging me as an author, which is how I ended up with the Get Ready podcast. So Tanya, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be with you. That's great. Uh, so a little bit about Tanya. Tanya is the CEO of Greenleaf Book Group, the leading hybrid model book publisher. Tanya is also the author of Ideas, Influence, and Income, a comprehensive guide to writing, publishing, and launching your book and monetizing your content. So, you know, as always with starting out is you want to go back to the beginning. So, Tanya, how did you get started in the publishing industry? Sure. So my background growing up in Los Angeles, I went to film school like so many Los Angelinos and worked in television for a little while. I was in uh, entertainment news. So I worked for shows like Extra and E-Cable Networks Style Channel. Fast forward, when I became a mother, I decided I really did not want to raise my daughters in Los Angeles and had friends who had moved just outside of Austin to a little town called Kerrville. And at first, I remember thinking like Texas, mm -mm. <laughs> you think of people with two teeth driving pickup trucks, but Austin is not that way. Austin is a very special city. And I came out, visited, fell in love, decided I needed to find a job. And at the time I found, I think it was on Hot Jobs, I found a listing for distribution manager at this little company called Greenleaf Book Group, when today I'm CEO of Greenleaf Book Group. So we were four people back then, 15 years ago. And I, I built out that distribution part of the business, which is pivotal to what we do. And then I've bopped around into every different role you can imagine here and really learned the business inside and out uh, to where in 2014, they tapped me on the shoulder after our founder left and said, it's your turn. So I've enjoyed being CEO and the challenges that that brings as well. Well, that's great. And I've had the pleasure of working with you since I think Greenleaf was about... <laughs> <laughs> four or five people. And it, it's been great to see your transition and to see how you've been able to get new people in there. Uh, so, you know, as people go through their careers is, you know, we all transition, especially in today's world, as people don't work at the same job for the, the bulk of their career. What, what's your been your challenge or what's been your experience and advice for people who are going through transitions at their companies? I think what helped me in terms of staying fulfilled here at Greenleaf, even though we were a small company and arguably there wasn't a lot of, quote, room to grow in a traditional way, was being vocal about my desire to always be developing and learning and taking on new challenges. I know myself well enough to know that I need that to be happy and uh, motivated. And our founder, Clint, was very good about accommodating that. So I would spend five years in a certain role and feel like I'd mastered it and then say, what else can I do? And, and at that point, I had certain extra skills that I was bringing to the table. So where else can we deploy those so that I'm, you know, making being the most valuable person I can be for the company. And so that's, that's part of it is just where can you create value and, and what really sparks joy, I guess, in you when you think about getting up in the morning and doing any type of work and what's purposeful. Definitely. Well, I think that's great advice because a lot of the insurance nerds audience work for small agencies where there's only a few people and they may seem like there's not a lot of room for growth. But the, I, in my viewpoint, I completely agree with you is that you have to think a little bit about the job that you want to create and 
that oftentimes there's space to create something that's complementary to the work that's already happening. And that's a way for people to always be able to increase their role. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's wonderful that you bring that up. I think one of the important things that you're doing is, you know, let, let's talk about your book for a minute, Ideas, Influence, and Income. That's a little bit of a change coming over as I was joking around to the dark side of being an author. You know, what inspired you to uh, write your book? Yeah, and to your point, I did resist it for many, many years, especially our biz dev team was always you know, nagging at me, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, so that they had a tool to go out and talk about the company. And the thing is, I have the insider knowledge to know that that's really hard, because I watch so many of my authors struggle through it. And I just thought, Oh, God, no. But at some point, I realized that I had to walk my talk, because I'm out there speaking at conferences and so forth, and writing articles about how the book is foundational, when it comes to establishing yourself as an expert, and planting your flag as you know, thought leader in your field, but I hadn't done it. So it was a bit hypocritical. And I decided then to uh, buckle down and use a framework that I had already just sort of over time developed as I was, as I would talk to authors coming into Greenleaf and who were themselves debating writing a book and that ideas, influence and income sort of three-legged stool. There is, I like to call it an ecosystem because all of those things work together. You pull one out and the other two will suffer and I would spend a lot of time with authors taking them through this structure and helping them understand the importance of developing all three of those areas. And then I realized it just lends itself really well to a book structure. <laughs> mm -hmm. And as I would uh, recommend to anybody, once I inventoried uh, the content that I already had, a lot of it um, made getting started easy for me because I could go through old articles and white papers and just things that I had written um, even presentations I'd given and use that to just give me a little momentum going into drafting my manuscript. Definitely. And I think that's a, an important point for any form of long content is that a lot of us have already developed some framework or written articles. Um, I know that when I wrote my first book, Questions and Answers on Life Insurance, it was really a compilation of different presentations I'd given, different articles I'd written, and that being able to put it together made the foundation uh, for a book and it made it a little bit easier. But I think it also goes to the point that each of us does have a story to tell and that a book is a good way to get your thoughts out, make a statement about who you are. That to some degree is really what ideas, influence and income is about, is about your brand and your statement. You know, so with that said is, you know, what do you feel people should know about writing a book, especially in today's world where there's so much micro content and people's attention spans are pretty short? <laughs> they are. And they're, like you said, there's so much micro, con micro content and all kinds of content. It's just the, um, the advent of streaming media and cable and that we just have so many choices, no matter what the length. But um, books still have a very special place, and I jokingly refer, well, only half-jokingly refer to books as the holy grail of content marketing because that long form, and this goes for video too, anything long form, um, just gives you the room to really unpack more complex ideas, frameworks, shifts in thinking that rarely can happen in the space of a 750-word blog post. I joke that, you know, over and over again, people will find out I work in publishing and they'll start telling me about, oh, this book that changed my life and that book that changed my life. And you don't hear people say that about <laughs> a blog post. So 
there's uh, an opportunity to just have a more transformative experience through a book and uh, for people who use it for business development and branding purposes as well uh, that the book is a way to almost vet your customers because it, it talks about your approach to whatever business issue you solve in your day-to-day -day work and if someone reads the book and agrees then you don't have to do that work when they come in the door they've read the book they know how you approach business in my case they read the book they understand what a hybrid publishing model is and they say I agree with everything you said I think you're talking to me let's go <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's a great point. I found out with questions and answers on life insurance as a consultant that it's really benefited me because it says who I am as a consultant and what my outlook is. And I think for the audience at Insurance Nerds, where some of the people at Insurance Nerds think of books as more as branding and lead generation, is writing a book really something that you see as an opportunity for most people? Absolutely. And I think sometimes when I do workshops with people like um, consultants or folks who are in IT or sales, they'll object to that a little bit. And they'll say, well, I just, there's nothing proprietary about sales. Oh yes, there is. <laughs> and even if it's, even if your model or how you approach or, or the industry is somewhat standardized as it can be in insurance, of course, you are not. And I think sometimes people are too close to themselves, of course, to see how they're different. And there are whole exercises we go through to help people uncover their own personal brand. And it, it might be the audience you serve. It might be awards that you've earned over the years. It might be the part of the world that you cater to. It might be uh, that you are focused on families or um, even that you are uh, religious and you hang that on your door. So I think People, again, you, you, you tend to not realize how others see you, and you do have a brand, whether you know it or not, and the book is a great place to really bring that forward. Definitely, and that was actually going to be the next question is really, in today's business environment, are we all our own personal brands, even if we work at a company? Absolutely. And I would argue that even before today's environment, which is somewhat different, and people tend to hop around a bit more. Uh, I think we always were and everybody, everybody is a brand. Everybody has a reputation that they, they convey. And, um, and now of course, increasingly we can Google that reputation. Yeah. <laughs> now it, there's just a trail. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah you know, fortunately yeah. or unfortunately. <laughs> I would say now maybe we have a better opportunity to influence our own brand and how we are perceived by doing different things online and, um, creating content and leveraging social media or whatever those tools are, um, we can sort of tailor that brand to cater to a certain audience, but you know, to a degree, you have to keep it authentic or you're just going to be exhausted and it won't come across as um, legitimate. Definitely. And I, I think that's something people need to keep in mind is that when you're writing is that, you know, write from who you are, it, it, that it's much easier to, create content when you're staying focused on what's true to you rather than what you think people want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that when you were writing your book and, oh, and when you write yourself? Yeah, I think, in fact, I pushed back a few times on our internal editors, bless their hearts, when they would say, oh, we think you should add this or explain this or take this out. And uh, I know from my own experience of talking about this stuff forever, it feels like <laughs> that that is, those were things that I was hearing in the Q&A sessions, especially after a presentation. And so I felt 
even though maybe they felt like sidebars, they belonged in the book because people are curious. They want to know. So I held to my guns and those things are in there. And, and sometimes they're treated differently in a visual way. So you understand that they're sort of almost like case studies. Um, and, and, you know, we can do all kinds of fun things with design to help the reader yeah. understand that. But, um, but yeah, there were, there were other moments where I just brought in a bit of humor that <laughs> I debated like, well, is this tone appropriate? This is going into the business section. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's me. That's just how I am. So keeping it in there. <laughs> well, I, I think it makes it real. And I, I think it makes people connect with you as an author. And I think for anybody who's writing an article is especially in a field like insurance is that you have to, to some degree, take it a little bit light because let's face it, insurance is not that exciting to most people. <laughs> <laughs> or to anybody. <laughs> so well, a brand opportunity there to find humor and insurance. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And you know, I, I think you brought up another very good point is about editors is um you and I have both been doing this for a while. We've both written for publications, been interviewed by publications, and I think, you know, what advice would you give somebody for working with either an editor or when you're working with a journalist preparing a story is, you know, to make sure that your message gets through to the reader. Yeah, that's a great question. And that actually goes back to my TV production days when I realized by watching very savvy media trained people get interviewed that the interviewee is in control. You think the interviewer is in control? The interviewee, if trained properly, can always turn a question around so that they can speak about whatever they want to speak about. <laughs> and you've seen people yeah. do this. They're usually politicians. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they decide they don't want to answer that question. And they answer question B. <laughs> so I think that's important to remember that that's your airtime. And you, you don't have to uh, necessarily strictly answer this is for you know a journalist situation. You don't have to answer a question in the way maybe that the journalist presented it. You can spin it a bit so that um, whatever it is that you want to bring forth is definitely coming forth. And you have to know what that is going in. Same thing with your writing. Uh, we go through in, entire exercises, as you know, where we help authors uncover who their audience is and what their messaging is, who they're trying to serve, who are your competition, what are the demographics, we'll give them avatars so they know exactly who they're writing to. And that makes it a lot easier to not stray off of that course when you're writing or you're doing media. You have a very clear, uh, deliberate intention in terms of who you're trying to serve and what you want to tell them. Definitely. And I think that translates directly to uh, people in the insurance industry, uh, whether they're agents or they're working at the home office for insurance companies or they're working for a high-tech insurance startup. Um, insurance Nerds has a lot of insure tech uh, people in uh, our audience. And I, I think that's one of the key things is that you're presenting who you are and you're presenting an idea and that you're in control of your message, but you also have to know who you're talking to mm -hmm. and how you want to come across. So when you're, you know, so let's say when you're prepping for an interview, what do you do uh, to prepare for an interview? 
Well, if I can get the questions in advance, I always will. Um, I, I never will have prepared script answers because people can tell when you're reading. And, I, and as you know, after 15 years, I, I tend to get the same questions over and over. And yeah. so I know what I'm going to say. Every now and then I'll get a curveball. But uh, I like that. It makes me think on my toes and stay present. But yeah, I just, I think if I can get the questions in advance, that certainly helps. Um, but I'll do some research as well into what their publication is. And in particular, if that journalist has a library of content that I can review to see what's the tone of their articles typically and who do they seem to be catering to, that can kind of give me a little intel into uh, what the tone of the interview will be and then what I should prepare for. Definitely. Um, so, so one thing I've run across, and I was curious how you deal with this, how do you keep from getting misquoted or words put in your mouth? Uh, <laughs> what's your <laughs> technique on that? It's hard. I think it's happened to everybody. And it's super frustrating because it can just lead to a, a hot mess of you know, a blowback. But um, a good journalist, a reputable journalist, especially for print, will send that article to you before it goes live to basically have you do a once over and if there's anything that you were like, I didn't say that, or you object to uh, a fact that maybe they just misnoted, uh, then you have the opportunity to object to that. But I think in some of the smaller, you know, blogs and so forth, there are little websites that are running articles or um, people who interview you and take notes but don't record. <laughs> then that's yeah. where there's a little stronger chance that something you're going to be misquoted or something is taken out of context. And then if that happens, you know, I always just diplomatically and politely reach out and say that that is that was not what I intended to share with you. I won't accuse them of screwing it up, but I'll say I'm sorry if I misspoke. That was not what I intended to say. Could you correct it? And um, usually they're they're willing to do so. It's not I find it's not a malicious thing. Sometimes they just don't understand our worlds as much as we do and um, they don't have the context to get those things right. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's true. And, and I think uh, the one thing and what I was curious about too is when you're talking to somebody that I think whether you're talking to a client as, you know, uh, with your insurance hat on, if you're an insurance agent or broker, if you're talking to the media is that I think you need to think a little bit about what you're going to say is so that you're hopefully not going to even be put in that situation if the journalist is not uh, taking notes. Because in my experience, some of the people I've dealt with, even though you know they may be uh, well-known websites or media outlets, is that oftentimes they're in a hurry and they call you and they need that quote and they need it right now and the story's running in five minutes. And you know you have to be very careful mm -hmm. about what you say. Um, so yeah. Probably always better if you can just email a quote to them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great tip. Is uh, I, I I prefer to do a lot of the interviews by email. Although, you know, do you find sometimes that email limits your ability to add context to your mm -hmm. quotes? Sometimes, mm -hmm, definitely. But if they're looking for a little soundbite and um, it's it's you know a couple of sentences in a broader article, then that's probably easier for everyone. Just email it over to them. But yeah, a longer piece, you're going to get a lot more color too out of a vocal interview. Definitely, definitely. So just a couple more things is, uh, you know, I was curious as well, I noticed that you're now involved with a women's biz business network. And as a female CEO, um, 
what unique challenges and opportunities do you feel women who want to transition into leadership positions are facing or what can they do to help themselves? What, what's different? Yes, and the Women's Business Network has been wonderful. It's a part of YPO, which is the Young Professionals Organization. Um, YPO Worldwide is working on this, but they have really low female membership rates, under 5%, I think. So uh, I was really struck by that when I joined and immediately became a part of the Women's Business Network to find um, peers who are struggling with some of the same things that I am if, if and when, a, I think, a gender-related issue comes up. Um, and also, of course, you know, men deal with this too, but the way that our families sort of interplay with our work life, I think for a lot of women is, is a, a different and unique struggle. But um, in the media world, you know, I've been super lucky. I think all of us encounter um, what, what feels like unfair circumstances from time to time, but the media world's pretty liberal. And, and I've always been lucky to work around uh, women in positions of leadership. It's not that unusual actually in publishing. Um, being involved in the Women's Business Network, I host their podcast, and okay. I've had the chance to interview women who especially are in tech and finance, and it, that it's very different for them. And they face um, just different forms of being shut out, uh, sometimes deliberate, sometimes not. But uh, there, there's a conscious effort now to raise awareness around some of these behaviors that make women sort of turn on their heels when they're considering certain industries and um, and bring men into the conversation as well so that everybody is mindful creating an environment where um, both genders can prosper. So it's been super rewarding. I love meeting these amazing people. I often feel like a slacker when I interview these women. <laughs> they do everything on the business side and the family side, and then they're also doing all this amazing philanthropic work and uh, you know, they're just, they're just tremendous uh, spirits. So that's been a huge joy and, and, and an inspiration to me as well. Well, that's great. So would you recommend that to women in the insurance industry becoming involved with the Women's Business Network? Yeah, I think so. Or, or any peer group that can lend you that support because I'm also in a, in YPO, which is the, uh, so that part's mostly male. I'm in a forum okay. there, which is sort of like a a support group, if you will, <laughs> there are eight of us. But I found even then that there were certain things as the only woman in that group that I wasn't just comfortable bringing forward, especially um, back when I was single and I was having troubles in my dating life. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and talk to six married CEOs about my frivolous dating life. So, uh, but I felt okay doing that with other women. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think there's just certain um, phases in your life where you need different types of support and um, knowing when to ask for that and being comfortable to raise your hand and say, uh, I need this to be women or I need this to be sometimes men. Maybe if I'm having trouble understanding my male private equity owners, <laughs> turns out men in private equity are a great resource. <laughs> Definitely. Well, private equity is a whole different thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> that is a different world. Um, so, you know, what's your, you know, just getting back to branding and publishing and everything, what's your number one rule for success or what one word of advice would you give people in their career? Oh, boy. I think one word of advice would be consistency. Um, I think I see people almost go through a New Year's resolution style of approaching 
their inspiration sometimes where they get really worked up and like, yes, I'm going to conquer this thing. Or you see it in people who love to go to conferences, like the conference junkies where they really crave that motivation and that feeling of getting fired up, but uh, then they don't have the consistency to carry through on an action plan. And, and so maybe it's discipline as well, but then to, to just kind of keep the ball always moving forward. And the same thing when you are moving up the ranks in a business or you own your own agency, uh, that prevents you from becoming complacent or comfortable because your competitor is probably not comfortable. So <laughs> you really need that consistency and discipline to keep driving forward um, and never just kind of rest on your laurels and, you know, if growing your business in that way is a goal. Well, that's great. And, and I think that especially holds true for the insurance industry, which is a very conference heavy industry. People can spend their whole day uh, or whole week or year going to conferences. I think that's really important is to balance that. And remember you have to do some real work in there <laughs> at some point. So, um, you know, there is a question I did want to ask you. Uh, that's just a fun question is uh, your Instagram handle is Tanya hates lasagna. <laughs> so the, the big question I had for you that this is hard hitting news journalism here is, why do you hate lasagna? <laughs> you found me. So, <laughs> well, Tanya lasagna was taken. So <laughs> <laughs> unless if anyone can prove me wrong, I believe lasagna is the only word that rhymes with my name. Uh, and so that was a running joke. I, I wasn't on Instagram for years. And then some of my girlfriends were begging me to get on there because they run these ridiculous long chats on Instagram and I wasn't a part of them and they'd have to catch me up all the time. So I joined really for my friends, and <laughs> so it was, it was sort of an inside joke, but uh, I do not like lasagna. I think it is <laughs> gross, it's heavy, it's just, it makes me feel terrible afterwards, and I've been called un-American for this belief. <laughs> well, well, personally, I, I like lasagna, so I'm not sure I can agree with you on that, <laughs> but we're all entitled to our own opinions, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just thought that was funny, but I, I think it gets back to the branding title because even your Instagram handle says something about who you are and makes a statement. And that I think people need to realize that everything you do leaves a statement about who you are and you need to think about the consistency of your personal brand and value statement. And I know that's something I've learned in working with you and, uh, with others at Greenleaf uh, Book Group uh, on that. Uh, and I know that that's something I've learned in, you know, from ideas, influence, and income, uh, which, you know, you can find out more about Tanya's book at ideasinfluenceandincome.com. You can find out more about Greenleaf uh, books at uh, greenleafbookgroup.com. And the links to those uh, websites will be in the show notes. Um, I recommend getting out there and at least checking out ideas, influence, and income if you want to find out more about developing your brand and, you know, some great tools. And Tanya, these have been some great thoughts. I appreciate you coming on and being here with Get Ready with Tony Stewart. It's been a real pleasure. We'll talk soon. All right, Tony. Thank you for your time. It was fun.